0: Our second Bible reading is John chapter 14, verses 8 through 24. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you for so long a time, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father." How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father, as he remains in me, does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, so that he may be with you forever. The helper is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him. But you know him, because he remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. After a little while, the world no longer is going to see me, but you are going to see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in my father and you are in me and I in you. The one who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will reveal myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what has happened that you are going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will follow my word, and my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our dwelling with him. The one who does not love me does not follow my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Please keep that page open so we can all look closely at the word of God. Let's bow our heads now and pray for God's spirit to teach us. The writer of Psalm 43 cries out to God, Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. Father, we pray that you would send forth your light and your truth among us this morning. Please would they bring us nearer to you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. That's what Philip says to Jesus at the start of today's passage. Show us the Father. Philip isn't satisfied with his existing religious experience. He wants something new, something different. When Philip says, show us the Father, he's probably asking for an experience like the one in our first Bible reading this morning. Let me refresh your memory with a quick quote From that passage in Exodus 24, Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself. That's the kind of experience Philip seems to be hankering for. Show us the Father. And it is enough for us. He's dissatisfied. He thinks he doesn't yet have enough. And in his view, what's needed is a new spiritual experience. It would be easy for us to join Team Philip. It would be easy for us to think that the remedy for the spiritual dissatisfaction we sometimes feel must be some kind of extraordinary new experience. But what we'll learn this morning is that Philip doesn't lack anything because he already has Jesus. And if, like Philip, you're someone who's following Jesus, the same is true for you. The rest of this morning's sermon is in two parts, and the heading for the first part is Seeing and Doing seeing and doing. Philip's show us the father request in verse 8 gets some serious pushback from Jesus. It gets the kind of pushback that surely made the other disciples think to themselves, glad I didn't say what Philip just said. Wouldn't like to be in Philip's shoes right now. Listen to the rebuke Jesus gives to Philip. In verses 9 and 10, Have I been with you for so long a time, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? In his love, Jesus needs to rebuke Philip because Philip has missed the point spectacularly. Jesus has been showing him the glory of the Father from day one. Philip should have known better. He was one of the 12 disciples who had been with Jesus throughout Jesus' public ministry. He'd seen Jesus meet a man paralyzed for 38 years. Jesus told the man to pick up his mat and walk. And he did! Philip had seen Jesus turn the water in six very large stone jars into the finest wine, enough to fill 900 of our modern-sized bottles. Philip had been watching when Jesus gave sight to a man born blind. Philip had seen Jesus walking across Lake Galilee, walking across the water from the shoreline to a fishing boat in the middle of the lake. When Jesus said, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? As he and the disciples saw a crowd of thousands heading in their direction, it was Philip who replied, eight months wages wouldn't buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. But then Philip had seen Jesus Feed all 5,000 by miraculously multiplying just two small fish and five small barley loaves. On top of all that, Philip had witnessed Jesus' sinless life and he'd heard Jesus' teaching. He'd heard Jesus say, I and the Father are one. It should have sunk in by now. Philip should have got the message. Jesus has been showing him the Father every day. The one who has seen me, Jesus says in the second half of verse 9, has seen the Father. Jesus is telling Philip that he's already had the revelation of God that he's asking for. He's had it each and every time that he looked at Jesus. Now God the Son, And God the Father are different persons. And at that time, God the Son was down on earth while God the Father was up in heaven. But there has never been any spiritual distance between the Son and the Father. I am in the Father, Jesus says at the start of verse 10, and the Father is in me. That means Philip isn't missing out. He has the son. And because the father is in the son, Philip also has the father. Jesus then goes on to give two reasons why Philip should believe what Jesus is saying. Two reasons why Philip should believe that if he's got the son, he's also got the father. The first reason is Jesus' words. The second reason is Jesus' works. We'll look briefly at each of those reasons because they can strengthen our faith as well as Philip's. First, Jesus' words. In the second half of verse 10, Jesus says, "'The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, "'but the Father, as he remains in me, does his works.'" Or to put it more simply, when Jesus speaks, the Father works. Remember, Jesus is reasoning with Philip. He expects Philip to say to himself, Yes, that's right. That's true. When I hear Jesus' words, his teaching, God the Father works in my life. Philip doesn't need a vision of the Father like that one in Exodus 24. He thinks he, need a, he thinks he needs a vision like that to transform his life, but he doesn't. Because God the Father can work in him through Jesus' words. Jesus' words produce God-given life transformation. The second reason why Philip should believe what Jesus is saying is Jesus works. Jesus says to Philip in verse 11, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Jesus is saying that if all else fails, Philip should focus on the works, which in this verse probably means Jesus' miracles. Think about the things I've done, Jesus is saying, and you'll grasp that God the Father is in me. Now, that last point might make us feel a little deprived because we can't see Jesus in the same way Philip saw him. We can't see Jesus performing his miraculous signs in the same way that Philip did. Perhaps when I gave that recap of Jesus' miracles a moment ago, you were thinking, I wish I'd seen those things happen. I wish I'd been there to see them. But we shouldn't feel deprived because we have the eyewitnesses' written testimony. Listen to John 19, verse 35. He who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he's telling the truth, so that you also may believe. That's John the author of this gospel, talking about his aim in writing. He who has seen has testified and his testimony is true and he knows that he's telling the truth so that you also may believe. In other words, we see through his eyes. We see Jesus through John's testimony and the testimony of the other eyewitnesses recorded in Scripture. It's not exactly the same as seeing Jesus with our own eyes. But it's just as reliable. The testimony of trustworthy eyewitnesses is just as reliable as seeing something for yourself. In John chapter 20, Thomas famously refuses to believe the other disciples when they tell him they've seen Jesus risen from the dead. He refuses to believe their testimony, but Thomas should have believed their testimony. When Jesus does appear to Thomas a week later, Thomas immediately believes and he says, My Lord and my God. Listen to Jesus' reply. He doesn't applaud Thomas for staking everything on his own eyesight. No, instead Jesus says, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Those who have not seen are people like you and me. Jesus doesn't consider us to be deprived. We can believe without seeing with our own eyes, thanks to the testimony of reliable eyewitnesses. It's as if we see through their eyes. Let's get back to Philip. Jesus has reassured him that he's not missing out. He doesn't need a new spiritual experience, a vision of the Father, because he already has Jesus. As Jesus says in verse 9, the one who has seen me has seen the Father. What we need to notice is that Jesus expects that seeing to produce doing. Take a look at verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who believes in me The works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I am going to the Father. Seeing leads to believing, which leads to doing. What does Jesus mean by greater works than these? How in the world could anyone outperform Jesus? Well, back in John chapter 5, After Jesus healed that man who had been paralyzed for 38 years, Jesus says this, The father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. Meaning the healing of the paralyzed man. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Let me read that one more time, that verse from John chapter 5. The father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. For Jesus, giving eternal life is an even greater thing than restoring a person's ability to walk. Giving eternal life is greater than miraculously restoring a person's legs. And so returning to verse 12 of our passage, Jesus is saying that because he's going to the Father, the greater work of giving eternal life will happen more and more. And the disciples will be involved in that greater work. It will be done through them, through their preaching and evangelism. From our standpoint in salvation history, we can see that because of Jesus' departure, greater works have been done. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, his ascension into heaven, and his sending of the Spirit. Believers have indeed done greater things than Jesus was able to do during his earthly ministry before his departure. Here's a quote from the ESV Study Bible's comment on that greater works verse, verse 12. It says... On the day of Pentecost alone, more believers were added to Jesus' followers than during his entire earthly ministry up to that time. End quote. As soon as the day of Pentecost, seeing had led to doing. The seeing of those original eyewitnesses has led to extraordinary doing, not only in their generation, but in later generations and all around the world. It's time for us to move on to the second part of the sermon, which will be shorter than the first. The heading for the first part was Seeing and Doing, The heading for this second part is doing and perceiving, doing and perceiving. Perceiving is a word we don't use very often, but it's a word that will be useful to us as we seek to understand what Jesus is teaching. So please track with me for the next minute or two. By perceiving, I mean the kind of seeing that isn't visual a kind of seeing that isn't visual. In John chapter 4, Jesus meets a woman by a well. They don't know each other. They've never met each other before. But during their conversation, Jesus says to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. In response, probably after a long pause, the woman says, sir, sir, I can see that you are a prophet. When she says that, she's not talking about seeing with her eyes. She means she perceives that Jesus is a prophet. Jesus has just told her information that must have been revealed to him supernaturally, and so she perceives that he must be a prophet. In English, we sometimes use the word see with that perceive meaning. Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. But in the original language of John's gospel, there is one word for visual seeing and a completely different word for the perceive kind of seeing. When the Samaritan woman says in John 4, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. She uses the perceive word for seeing. But when Jesus says to Thomas those words in John 20, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. There, that's the visual word for seeing. Two completely different words in the original language, often translated by just one English word, see, which can create confusion that we need to try to avoid. I hope you followed All of that because we need to bring it all to verse 19 in our passage today. In verse 19, Jesus says, After a little while, the world no longer is going to see me, but you are going to see me. If Jesus had used the visual word for seeing there in verse 19, we'd have to conclude he was talking about his resurrection appearances. But he doesn't use the visual word for seeing. He uses the perceive word for seeing. So in verse 19, Jesus is looking beyond his resurrection appearances. He's talking about his followers being aware that he is alive, perceiving that he is alive. The world, Jesus says in verse 19, won't perceive him anymore. The world won't grasp that he's still alive. But you, he says to his followers, are going to perceive me. What Jesus says there is true, not just for those 11 disciples, but also for us. We too can perceive the living Lord Jesus. The end of verse 21 Jesus says, the one who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and will reveal myself to him. I will reveal myself to him. What happens when Jesus reveals himself to you? You perceive him. You perceive him. When Jesus reveals himself to a person, that person will perceive him. They'll be aware that he really lives. Before I became a Christian, I thought of Jesus Christ as a figure of history like Julius Caesar. I did not perceive that he was still alive. But after I put my trust in Jesus, I did perceive him. I realized that he was a living savior who I could have a personal relationship with. But here's the thing Jesus ties this perceiving of himself to doing. Take a look at these verses. Verse 21. And verse 23. The one who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will reveal myself to him. Look at how that verse begins. The one who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And now look down, please, to verse 23. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will follow my word. He will keep my word. My father will love him, and we will come to him and make our dwelling with him. Verse 24, the one who does not love me does not follow my words. It's not that we earn our perception of Jesus by obeying his commandments through obedience. No, Jesus himself says in John 6 verse 37, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. He freely reveals himself to those who come to him for forgiveness through faith in his death and resurrection. The point is that those who trust in Jesus and love him will keep his commandments by the power of the Spirit. who is mentioned in this passage. Verses 15 through 17. That's the point. Those who trust in Jesus and love him will keep his commands by the Spirit's power. doesn't mean obedience will be easy it doesn't mean obedience will be perfectly constant but it does mean obedience will happen obedience is an inescapable piece of those verses verse 21 the one who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me And I will love him and will reveal myself to him. Verse 23 If anyone loves me, he will follow my word, and my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our dwelling with him. Let's take all of this back to Philip. Philip wanted something more, he was dissatisfied. He felt he needed an additional amazing spiritual experience. But what Jesus teaches Philip, what he teaches us, is that if we have him, if we have Jesus, then we have all that we need. We have all that we need to know the Father. We have all that we need to do the works that Jesus did, those greater works of seeing more and more people receive eternal life around the world. We have Jesus. We have all that we need. And where I'd like to finish this morning is with Jesus' focus on his words, the word of God, Take another look, please, at verse 10. The words that I say to you, Jesus says in verse 10, I do not speak on my own, but the Father as he remains in me. Why don't you put your thumb over the very last part of verse 10. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father as he remains in me. We expect it to say something like, is speaking. thumb away. The Father, as he remains in me, does his works. God works through his word. There used to be in Britain, I don't know if they're still used today, signs put up on the road, triangular signs with a red border saying men at work. When the word of God is read, when the word of God is taught and preached and proclaimed and listened to, we could put up one of those red signs, but it should say God at work. God at work. That illustration isn't original to me. I first heard it at a conference for Christian teenagers, and... After the speaker at the conference had used that God at work illustration, one of the girls at the conference painted a version of that sign. It was beautifully done, red, triangle, an open Bible in the middle of the sign. And instead of the words, men at work, God at work. God is at work through his word. And so if we want to press on in the Christian life, knowing Jesus, obeying him, seeing him through the eyes of those first eyewitnesses, where do we go? We go to his word. And as we go to his word, God will be at work in us. Let's pray. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and will reveal myself to him. Heavenly Father, it is so good to read of your love for us. We pray, Heavenly Father, that when we yearn for something more, In our Christian experience, we pray that you would draw us to your word, the word of God. And as we read it and hear it and listen to it being proclaimed, we pray that we would once again see Jesus. We pray that we would learn his commands and by the Spirit obey them. We pray that you would use us to do greater works. And we pray that we would keep perceiving Jesus and his love for us. Thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for the way you work through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.